The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. better get healthy and help animals welcome to main street vegan with your host victoria moran regan russell spent the final moments of her life providing comfort to pigs who had never experienced the touch of a kind hand While her tragic death has brought about deep sorrow in the Animal Save Movement community, we will honor her memory by vigorously confronting the cruelties she fought so hard to prevent. That is part of a larger statement from Academy Award-winning actor Joaquin Phoenix that appeared in People magazine. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria Moran, host of the Main Street Vegan Program. Very happy that you are with us today. After the break, we are going to be speaking with a really exceptional physician. She is a pain management specialist who almost never prescribes pain medication. So you might think this has something to do with a wonderful whole foods plant-based diet, and I'll just bet it does. And right now... We are here to honor the memory of Regan Russell, the animal rights activist who passed away in an accident on June 19th outside a uh, slaughterhouse in, in the Toronto area. And here today to talk about what she stood for and her legacy going forward, how we can work to keep that going, are two women who are heroines in their own right. Uh, Fern Levitt is a wonderful documentarian. You may know her 2016 film, Sled Dogs, that uncovers the reality of the sled dog industry. That's a film that is often listed alongside Blackfish as being truly informative and necessary to awaken people to what's going on out there in the world. And also with us today is Anita Crines, who is the founder of Toronto Pig Save and the Worldwide Animal Save Movement. So welcome, Fern and Anita. And before we start talking about what we're really here for, the wonderful life and work of Regan Russell, Anita, for people who don't know about the Save Movement, please fill us in on all the wonderful work that you guys do. 
Thank you, Victoria. The SAVE movement uh, started in 2010 with uh, Toronto Pig Save. And basically, what we've been doing is bearing witness to animals uh, such as pigs, cows, chickens, and other animals in front of slaughterhouses, and also documenting uh, these animals and sharing it with the world. And uh, what we've shown is the individuality of these animals uh, and how they want to live and, and just the injustice of these sentient beings going to slaughter. And one of our goals has been to create vegans and also activists. And uh, we, we grew to about 35 groups in, in five years and by 2015. And then I got charged with giving water to thirsty pigs. And uh, at that, we got a lot of attention for the pig trial. Uh, the judge in the end agreed that compassion is not a crime. So the charges were dropped after almost two years in the courts. Um, and then in the next five years, we grew from 35 groups to 1,000 chapters in more than 70 countries. And at this stage, we have Animal Safe Movement doing vigils at slaughterhouses. We have Climate Save. Uh, we have Youth Climate Save, uh, led by Genesis and a lot of other individuals in countries like India, Brazil, and so forth. And then we also have a Health Save Movement. Um, and, uh, you know, we faced a horrible tragedy uh, June 19th uh, at Fearman's. It's just outside of Toronto. It's a slaughterhouse. And, you know, at, when, when, our, when our movement turned 10 years old, it's, it's just, uh, you know, it's horrific. And uh, we, we are deeply, deeply saddened. And we, we just want to amplify uh, Regan Russell's voice. So Absolutely. that her, her legacy lives on. Absolutely. Um Anita, just tell us very briefly how she came to pass away, and then we're going to be talking with Fern about who she was. So there was a, an, a special vigil on Friday, uh, June 19th, two days after an Ontario IGAG bill called Bill 156 passed. And uh, Regan was deeply concerned about the passage of this bill because it would criminalize uh, bearing witness, it would criminalize undercover investigations. And her last post on, on Facebook said that, you know, this bill would not even allow employees at factory farms to blow the, to, 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 blow, to be whistleblowers without being fined. And so she said, um, you know, that the spill is wrong, that animal egg is wrong. And her last comment was cancel animal egg. Um, and she came on this hot, scorching day, uh, Friday, June 19th. Uh, the, the vigil was going on for a couple hours. She was giving water to thirsty pigs herself. And then the last truck was around 10, 15. Um, she, there were uh, seven people at the vigil. Um, and she, the other, there was a truck that stopped at the outer lane and was idling there for a while. And then... Uh, six activists then went across the, into the traffic and were giving water to the pigs. And she stood at the entrance many meters away with a water bottle in one hand and a hose in another, and just, just to allow the others to bear witness. And uh, then the, you know, according, I wasn't there, but according to witnesses, uh, the truck accelerated and she wasn't able to jump out of the way fast enough. And she got run, she got hit and, run over and killed uh, at about 10.20 in the morning of June, June 19th. Um, and it's, uh, 
she yeah it, it was just so tragic and unnecessary and um the whole world is weeping for her and the whole world you know is going to work 10 times all the animal activists in the world are going to work 10 times harder for her so that she, her spirit and her uh her mission uh you know is achieved absolutely now, Fern, I know that you knew Regan from childhood. Uh, you've been friends a very, very long time. Tell us about this remarkable woman. Well, we both grew up in Hamilton together. Uh, Hamilton is a small city just north of Toronto, and we lived on the same street. And her father was my grade seven teacher. And and, you know, as, as kids um, living in on this the street, there were tons of kids and we all played together. We all went to school together. I mean, I knew Regan, you know, all my growing up uh, time in, living in Hamilton. And um, she was just, as she was then, just a lot of fun and just a great, uh, a great person and great friend to have. But then we went our own way. She moved to a city called Winnipeg and um, I moved to Toronto. But then uh, when I did my documentary Sled Dogs, um, which um, just to give you some background very briefly, in 2010, my husband and I went dog sledding at a place in um, outside of Toronto, um, thinking like it, this is going to be great fun and, and, um, and, not, and not even knowing the reality of the industry and when we finished the ride I went to find where the dogs were and what I saw was uh, basically a prison camp 300 dogs all in chains um, plastic barrels and I was horrified and um, I decided as a documentary filmmaker uh, I've been making documentaries for over 20 years this is an industry that I needed to explore and that led to my documentary sled dogs and then you know because of Facebook uh, Regan connected with me got in touch with me and said Fern what can I do to help you um, I want this I want this to end too and what she did is so we reconnected again it was easy to do that we had all that past what she did is not only brought my film to a theater in in Hamilton but she became very involved with the sled dog industry and came with us um, through protests and and planned meetings with us and um, and put herself at risk in order to expose the industry. And, um, you know, I just, uh, not only were friends, but we were now fellow activists, and she was as committed to ending the sled dog in industry as I was. And um, just a couple of weeks ago, I found out that there was terrible abuse going on in one particular sled dog place, and um, I needed to prove it. And I asked Regan if she would come with me, but I couldn't guarantee her safety because we were going at night and, and we needed to expose this. And she said, without even thinking, of course I'm. And it was an 18-hour drive there and back. And it was, you know, we were successful. And I will never forget what she did for me and, um, and how an extraordinary person she was. She had a smile that lit up and I cannot believe um, when we finally got reacquainted again we were working on a on a cause that I lost her it, it's a very sad thing now knowing her as a child I was just talking with my husband the other day about how 
in so many ways, we are the same people <laughs> from the time we are just toddling around being interested in certain things and not other things as we are when, when we are mature adults. So did you have any indication when Regan was uh, very young that she had this kind of fire in the belly that was going to lead to this sort of life? Um, no, no, not really. I mean, we were, we were kids and then we were teenagers who were self, self-involved. I mean, we both lived right by a ravine. Uh, our ravine was in our backyards. So we were outside playing all the time, building forts. Um, but no, I had no idea. I mean, Regan became, as we, in her 20s, she became a, a fashion model and, um, and was modeling actually furs, which she was horrified you know, later when she became an activist. So there was no indication back then when we were kids that we were, that we were going to end up as activists. Though her father, um, they moved to England, though her father did take her to the concentration camps in Germany and showed her the end result of hatred and bigotry. And that left a huge impression with her of how she had to fight um, for the rights of others. So mm. that was really, he showed her that when she was only 10 years old and got, having gone to the camps myself, it is an image, images that you will never forget. But no, when I found out that she had become an activist, um, I didn't know that that was, that's what she had, had decided to, that's what her passion was in. But um, it certainly brought us together again and solidified that friendship and that bond. Oh, I'm sure. So, Anita, you knew Regan only in adulthood. How did she impress you? Um, she she uh, came to the pig trial uh, when when Ingrid Newkirk came um, and was supportive. She's she was going to uh, weekly vigils uh, for the pigs. Um, she everybody who met her uh, was just impressed at how kind she was, uh, no matter what. Like she was always, and she sort of had protected people like she if there were people bearing witness she would go to the tr in front of the truck the, the, the back of the truck you know where the traffic is and point the sign so that she would be explaining to people why we were there and she would make her own signs um you know we are their voice and uh another one that said if uh, you were in there we would be here too so if people were in that you know if somebody was in the truck we would be standing up for them too um, and uh, and she would kindly explain to people, uh, you know, about, about like, how to do activism. She would drive people from Hamilton to Burlington. Uh, everyone who encountered her just was so impressed. And my own encounters, um, I, um, there was some really hot days in July last year. And there was a truck that drove dangerously. So we just en masse trespassed and went to the gates to, to see the pigs and to get the license of that truck driver. And she just stood at the back of the truck holding up the big sign. And she was, she had this aura of just being angelic. Like that was my yeah. perception of her. Mm -hmm. and, and there was another day where we trespassed even further right to the back of the slaughterhouse because there were a lot of trucks that were idling. And Jenny McQueen had captured that on a live stream. And she was uh, one of our friends, Courtney Puttington, said that she was fierce in the sense that the, the, she was giving water and then the uh, slaughterhouse worker grabbed her hand and pushed her away. But she was fierce in the sense that she wasn't, when she was scared, she just react, her reaction was just to do the right thing. She just 
you know, she said trespassing is nothing. You know, what, what the issue is here is the pigs are dying of thirst and they're suffering so much and they're exploited. So she was a, she was very, she was fearless and just a very good person. That was my, and everyone I know, that was their perception of her. Yeah, I would say the same thing. I, I mean, she had this beautiful angelic smile and she was a huge giver, but she was fearless. I, I mean, I, I couldn't believe how fearless she, she was. Um, and uh, we went out to um, protest at a sled dog, uh, at a sled dog kennel and she decided to go inside the kennel and the people that were own it, owning it to show, uh, to show um, the public what really goes on there, how the dogs live their lives chained and, and thin and without water. And one of our, the activists, Jenny McQueen, who Anita just mentioned, was being choked by one of the, uh, one of the people that worked at the sled dog place. And she didn't hesitate for a second to try to save Jenny and get that guy off of, uh, get uh, that woman or that uh, that man off of her and, and save Jenny. So she was, she was, she was fearless. And um, and when we were going to to get evidence of, of this abuse at the sled dog kennel, I have to tell you, I was terrified. I was really scared. I knew the owner had a gun. Um, and when I got there, I was terrified. And if I don't know if Regan hadn't been with me to encourage me to give me the the strength that I you know that I was beginning to lack. I don't know if I would have gone through it, but I did it because she was there at my side. Wow, what a wonderful story about what we can do for one another. Sometimes I think that being fearful, it's just the path of least resistant. It comes up, and there it is. And so I think sometimes we just give in. But when I think about someone like her, and, and you know, they always say that, that heroes are scared too. <laughs> they just go forward anyway. And so to just um, know that, um, you know, there's this spirit I, to draw. It's very I don't powerful. Know if I, I don't know if I would have gone forward. Um, I was beginning to withdraw. I don't know if I would have gone forward if she wasn't at my side. If um, she was at my side. I'm so glad that she was there with you, and I'm so glad that she was there for the animals. So, Anita, I know that this Ag-Gag Bill 156 that passed recently in Ontario was, was something of, of real importance to Regan, and I know that you and the Animal Save Movement will be working going forward to get that overturned. So my animal rights listeners know what ag-gag bills are, but for others, can you just explain what that is? I know you have them in Canada, we have them here in the States. So um, an ag-gag bill uh, tries to prevent peaceful protest. Um, so Bill 156 uh, has these uh, measures such as uh, animal protection zones that they could create around slaughterhouses or slaughter trucks so that people couldn't go close to the animals and bear witness. It It's uh, Finds people who whistleblow and do undercover investigations at far factory at factory farms and other animal farms. Uh, it even disallows employees to blow the whistle, and that's something that Regan had posted about in her last post on Facebook. So basically, it tries to restrict the right to to freedom of speech, the right to protest, and um, you know these types of ag bills have been shown to be unconstitutional. Uh, so, you know, the, the bill passed a couple of days before Regan was hit and uh, killed. And we, we don't know if it's an accident. I mean, that there's a police investigation right now to determine the intentions of the driver. 
Um, so I, um, so, so it'll come into effect in October, so it'll be a few months still. But um, um, you know, the, the idea is that we have a right to protest peacefully. What we're trying to do is to, to defend the right to peaceful protest. And the bill seemed to encourage like violence against activists. It had a provision where farmer, animal farmers could uh, you know, engage in citizen arrests and, uh, you know, and uh, possibly, you know, it just, it just seemed to create more scope for violence against, against uh, animal rights activists. Mm, that is so and, unfortunate. Go ahead. Sorry, I, I also have to tell you, it's not just against the animal activists, it's against freedom of the press. It's against us. You know, if we want to, I don't, I, I don't, I would not have been able to make sled dogs most likely if Bill 156 had already been, had already been law. It stops us, the press, from exposing uh, cruelty, animal cruelty. And, um, and so, you know, I mean, freedom of the press is fundamental to a democracy, is exposing the public to truths that are left hidden. So I don't know if Bill 156 had passed, whether I would have been able to make my documentary, which was exposing animal cruelty. So it, it, it is against the constitution of, of, this, of this country, and it's a dangerous law because it, it keeps the truth hidden. Well, I, I know that Regan's uh, husband is very involved in this, and, and you guys are too. I always think about ag-gag bills. If I were someone who didn't understand the issues and I wanted to eat animal products, I would feel that I had the right to know where they came from. And, and I just wonder why more people who, who choose to eat these products aren't as outraged as we are because we're concerned about the animals, but we're not consuming the products. You would think that those who are would really want to know their history. So uh, maybe there can be a little bit of coalition building there and more people uh, involved in this and looking into it. So looking ahead, Anita, uh, what are the movement's action plans to ensure that Reagan's spirit and mission are remembered and carried forward? So we, we're planning uh, a campaign with many elements. So the first, uh, first thing that we did was hold memorial vigils, including at uh, Fearman's where she was killed. Uh, and they had th two, 300 people the last couple of Sundays. Uh, the uh, Regan's parents came and her husband, Mark, and her stepson, Joshua, and her cousins came to vigil for a certain time, first time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, and also, um, we're, we're planning like an open letter to, to a newspaper uh, with famous signatories and organizations that are beyond the animal rights community. Uh, we're planning a, a major World Day of Action one month after she was killed on, the action will be July 19th. And uh, we're already we're seeing global actions, you, you know, Animal Rebellion and uh, Bristol Animal Save held a... Uh, an event in front of the Canadian High Commission in London, the United Kingdom, and got daily press mail. Um, we're we're planning an economic strategy, you know, targeting the the industry and trying to switch them to uh, plant-based. Uh, the the Spearmans uh, doesn't have a plant-based line yet, so we're going to encourage them to have a plant-based line. And and also we want to uh, close that particular slaughterhouse and turn it into a plant-based facility. So our our goals are. Uh, large 
and uh, our plans are for the next few months and for the next few years and until we accomplish uh, her, Regan's vision. So, so we would just want to amplify her message and people around the world are moved and we're crying and just, they want to do more, they're motivated. You know, you know, one of the wonderful things, Victoria, in all this is so many people are now becoming active because of her. Every time we go to vigil, there's new people saying, I'm out here because I'm so moved by who she was and what she represented. And they find it outrageous what happened to her. And so they want to become more active. And, and I feel in that way, her spirit will live on. Oh, absolutely. Just listening to, to the two of you today has really inspired me to be more energized moving forward and, and, and really work in, in the spirit of someone like Regan, who did not give up until the very end. So anyone who's interested in the wonderful work of the SAVE movement, you can check out torontopigsave.org or on Instagram, they're torontopigsave. And uh, Fern, is there a way that people can watch your film? Uh, uh, well, it will be on YouTube, um, and it will be on YouTube soon. It was on CBC in Canada, and it was on Stars Network in the States. But it will be on YouTube, but you can find out all kinds of information about the, about the truth about the sled dog industry. Just go to sleddogsfilm.com, and... Um, and you can find more information about it then. And in, in, in memory of, of Regan and, and, and to honor Regan, we're going to continue to work very hard to end the commercial sled dog industry and get those dogs into loving homes where they belong. Ah, oh, what a wonderful, wonderful goal. So uh, sleddogsfilm.com, and we will put all those URLs on our show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. So just uh, in our last minute here, Anita, um, if people listening could do one thing today to honor Regan, to really change the world for animals, what, in your opinion, would that be? Uh, just commit to doing some uh, street activism or direct action and meeting people face to face, because that's what Regan did in the last years of her life. And that's what she stood up for. That's beautiful. And we can all maybe uh, get in on a little bit of her courage <laughs> because the people that we remember and the people that we honored are the people who felt the fear but did it anyway. So Regan Russell, I never met you in this life, but my admiration for you is unbounded. And I know that that is the same for everyone who cares about animals. So thank you so much. Thank you, Anita Crines and Fern Levitt for spending time with us today and honoring this extraordinary activist. Our condolences to her family and all of our friends, of her friends, and our commitment to going forward. Everybody else, stay with us. We'll be back after these messages. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. 
Thank you so much for being with us today. What a pleasure to have you here with all of us on the Main Street Vegan Program and Unity Online Radio. Do check out unityonlineradio.org. They have so many wonderful programs, lots about spirituality and positive thinking. There's actually another vegan program on, the Jazzy Vegetarian with Laura Theodore. So do check that out. And while you're checking, you might want to stop by MainStreetVegan.net. That is where I hang out. All sorts of things going on over there. We've got a film, uh, A Prayer for Compassion. We have a weekly blog. You can sign up for that and for our newsletter. And we also have Main Street Vegan Academy. So if you are vegan and you want to bring your outreach and your work up to the next level, even the professional level, and get yourself certified as a vegan lifestyle coach and educator, there are now two incredible ways to do that. You can do it very affordably in the comfort of your own home. That's our MSV Zoom program. Or next summer, when things should be different in the world and more opened up, you can come to New York City for Main Street Vegan Elite uh, and and do a six-day intensive right here in the Big Apple. So do check out both of our offerings, and uh, you just might get yourself the VLCE, Vegan Lifestyle Coach and Educator Certification. We would love to have you as part of the family. And now I am so happy to be able to introduce to you a really extraordinary physician. Dr. Lily Rosenthal is a New York City-based integrative pain management physician with a specialty in physical medicine and rehabilitation. Her personalized evidence-based approach treats pain at its root cause. She offers a comprehensive treatment plan that optimizes the health, well-being, and functional goals of her patients. Welcome, Dr. Rosenthal. Thank you so much, Victoria. It's a delight and a pleasure to be here, and I'm honored to be invited by somebody as yourself who does so much for people, the planet, and animals. So thank you very much. (laughs) Well, we're all trying to leave this world a little bit better than we found it. So I know, uh, Dr. Rosenthal, that you are a doctor of osteopathy. So I've answered the question, what is an osteopath my whole life? Because my father was a doctor of osteopathy. But I want to ask you that first, just so people can get clear on that. Uh, yes, thank you. A lot of people, uh, you know, flip the DO, OD, which is an optometrist, but um, a doctor of osteopathic medicine, let me just sort of go back a bit. There are two uh, fully licensed types of physicians in this country, in the US. There are MDs, which most people know because they are the majority. And then there are DOs. So we are a minority, but a very strong minority of physicians who are, we are fully licensed physicians. We go to parallel medical schools, but our philosophy of health and patient care is a little little different. Um, We really sort of respect the person as a person rather than just sort of a disease. And we also really believe in sort of the natural healing abilities of all of our patients. Um, And we take that very seriously that um, another tenant or, or philosophical difference in, in DOs is that structure and function are very intimately related. So I like to think we're sort of a 
uh, we support the optimal health and well-being of our patients rather than just treating symptoms. And that's why I was very attracted to go into this um, sort of type of medicine. So yes. I'm very proud to be a DO. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I was proud to be the kid of a DO. I'll tell you that. Now, I, I know that in some countries, because we have listeners around the world, so in the UK and in Australia, um, osteopathic physicians do not prescribe medicine. But in the US, it's basically, I think of it as MD plus. I say that, Victoria, Those that's my language. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no, but... Please, please continue. You are the expert. But what, what I want to ask, Dr. Rosenthal, is you are a pain management physician, and yet you rarely prescribe pain medication. A lot of people would say, well, what else is there? Yes, that's a good question. Um, well, as you said um, so eloquently, in the U.S., osteopathic physicians are fully licensed physicians. I have the choice of prescribing medications all day long for pain, but that does, that's not my choice because what I took the oath of first do no harm becoming a physician, I took it very seriously. Why would I choose something that potentially has side effects because all medications do? Um, and why would I choose something that just suppresses symptoms as a treatment modality when I can do so much better as a physician, as an osteopathic physician, as a specialist in physical medicine and rehabilitation? I have so many tools in my toolbox to not only just treat the symptoms, but actually transform my patient's health from a root cause level. And that is the very quick, people, you know, it's not unknown to all of us that we have an opioid crisis here in, in, in our country, uh, sadly. Um, and by the way, interesting uh, fun fact, it's not really fun, it's, it's really um, very sad that 90% of the of opioids are prescribed in the US. So as I like to say kind of flippantly, but importantly, like people in Sweden have pain, they're not taking opioids, right? So there's science evidence-based medicine that does not include prescribing drugs for people and on, that, that can actually, you know, uh, have tremendous and sometimes even lethal side effects. So that's a very sort of quick um, uh, reason why I choose. I have other things that I can do that are way more valuable, way safer, and really way more effective than just prescribing medications for pain. My goodness, that that is a shocking statistic. I, I had no idea yeah. that that it, it was that extreme. So tell us about you have a lifestyle medicine approach to the way that you assess pain, to the way you treat pain. How does that work? Yeah, um, lifestyle medicine. You know, as an osteopath, we're sort of integrative and holistic, right? So I'm very oriented towards taking the person in front of me um, as a whole, and I look at person as a, a total being, right? Their, their body, their mind, their sort of in a, in a full holistic and integrative uh, approach. So lifestyle medicine, there's actually a specialty in lifestyle medicine now, but I've been, so I guess I'm grandmothered into this. I've been doing this for about 30 years because it just made sense to me, right? Um, everything affects everything else. It's all connected. Just like, you know, it's, you know, being a vegan, right? It affects animals, it affects people, it affects the, the, the planet, right? Our communities, our ecology. Same thing with a 
a patient and a person. Um, there are multifactorial reasons why people get sick or injured or have pain. And being a pain management specialist, I'm really focused on pain. And the lifestyle medicine approach takes into account, I have really identified you know, five basic things that keep people healthy. Our food, our movement, our sleep, our stress. And I say vices, and my daughter, who's 20, I'll give her credit for this because she deserves it. It said vices, and Ma, what about devices, right? And in modern society, <laughs> our devices are, are part of the problem sometimes too. They could be healthy, they could be helpful, but they could also be part of the problem. So the you know, my my job as a doctor is to sort of uncover, I think of myself a little bit as a medical detective is uncover the root cause and then because everything's connected address things from a lifestyle medicine approach which is comprehensive and again there's no side effects the side effects are all positive so it's just a, a bit of common sense actually but not a lot of people really know about this or subscribe to it so i'm hoping mm -hmm. your listeners will sort of open up to there's other ways to treat pain of not just, you know, pills and procedures and things that come with, you know, side effects and don't really transform at the root cause level. Right. So you have a five point plan for optimal health. And you may have touched on that when you were talking about the food and the sleep. Is, is that your five point plan? That is. Um, and there are some core things that are just across the board um, you know, healthy for everybody, but then I really get into the sort of micro and the granular for each person. Um, it's a personalized five point plan approach to optimizing people's health with the five things that I talked about, sleep, exercise, um, stress, um, food, and the management of vices and devices. Mm -hmm. I love the vices and devices. That's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes we think it's a vice not to be tied all the time to the device and to kind of get over that. This is another uh, phase of enlightenment. Mm -hmm. So I think anyone who's listening who, who does deal with pain, and, and God bless you if you do, that, that's a, an awful thing. I've had a few experiences in my life of, of extreme pain, not, thank goodness, the, the lifelong, you know, on, ongoing stuff that some people deal with, but certainly enough to give me great uh, compassion for people who are dealing with that. And yet I would say that probably anybody listening who is in that situation, their doctor has probably not offered them many other options besides pills and procedures. Is that just because the doctors don't know? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I'm glad you asked because um, there's sort of a thinking out there, you know, from physicians, from doctors, but also from patients, like you're waiting for the doctor to sort of make you healthy. And the sort of the real answer to getting healthy is, is your choices. So the reason why you probably haven't heard this from your doctor, um, and thank you for bringing this up, it, it's multifactorial like most things, but the, the basic uh, first thing is that unfortunately, and there's a lot of people, Dr. Clapper, we know there's a sort of movement in trying to teach medical students about nutrition, right? So nutrition as one of the points in the five point plan, right? Educating people, figuring out the root cause takes a little time. Doctors are pretty hurried. Um, doctors themselves, unfortunately, and I hate to say it because a lot of my friends are doctors, um, aren't really plugged into this sort of 
medicine, lifestyle and lifestyle choices as true medicine. There's some idea out there, and it's really a false idea, that something external is really good. Sure, we need medications, we need some procedures if we need them, but the majority of keeping ourselves healthy, and by the way, the planet healthy, is making choices every day in the five things that I keep mentioning, right? And with food really as its core. So doctors are not educated on this. That's that's the first point. We're trying to make changes in that lane. Um, it also takes a ton of time and doctors, God bless them, are time starved and not you know, uh, sort of oriented toward, there's, it's a symptom man. We have a very broken system, at least in this country. Um, another shocking statistics is that a doctor's visit in this country, the average doctor visit is six minutes. So that is definitely, even if you were knowledgeable as a physician and caring about this, six minutes is not enough time to uncover root cause level of why the patients may be in pain. So the easy, unfortunately, knee-jerk um, response is prescribing a pill to just cover up the pain, which, again, is a very, very, very poor and, unfortunately, sometimes fatal suggestion. So that's just a little bit. I can talk, you know, weeks on this subject, but um, I try, you know, to do my part in structuring my practice in a way that I can really get to the root cause, and I'm spending the time with patients trying to figure it out. So, and educating them. A lot of people don't know this as well, that physician actually means educator. Ah. Yeah. So we, we did get a couple of questions in uh, Dr. Rosenthal when uh, oh, it was announced great. that you were going to be on the show. So the first one comes from someone who says that she suffers from neuropathy, which is very debilitating, and she does not have type 1 or type 2 diabetes. So um, what do you have to say to this listener? Um, sure, I'm happy to, without taking a whole sort of history, but yes, that often is true, uh, di uh, diabetes is, so that's not the root cause, so thank you for helping me, you know, th diagnose that. Um, there's multifactorial reasons for why you might have neuropathy. Um, unclear, you know, I, I unfortunately can't diagnose over the radio. I'm good, but I'm not that good. <laughs> but we want to be, you know, things that can actually, um, at a root cause level, cause neuropathy could be problems, you know, coming from the spine, could be discs, could be um, alcohol use actually is a very um, common, and especially now, I hate to say it, you know, during this special time of COVID, um, drinking alcohol has gone up like 55, you know, 55%. So I just want to alert people uh, that, you know, this is probably not helping you stay healthy at this point. But um we know to support nerve health in general, and I'm going to sort of make a plug for the optimal gold standard nutrition plan for everyone is a whole food plant-based diet, right? So things that, you know, come from the ground. So, the, so I, I can't uncover all of this at, at the moment, but I would be thinking towards, um, you know, eating as a way your food as medicine um, and the, the better you can do in that department, if there's alcohol use, think about that as well, because that's a very uh, common cause of, of neuropathy. Okay. 
Thank you very much. And the other question says, I'm 55 and I'm starting to have twinges of arthritis. What can I do to keep my joints as long as I live? Oh, I, the great question, because that's super common. And some of the most common things I see in the office are joint issues such as arthritis, muscle pain, headache. But um, osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, without getting into the weeds on all of this, um, it's, it's very, very common. Um, and oh, by the way, you know, after the age of, believe it or not, 35-ish, even if there's no pain, we could have skeletal or x-ray evidence of arthritis, which doesn't necessarily mean a terrible thing, right? But the best way to um, sort of combat any uh, negative effects of arthritis Again, you're going to hear it over and over. It's a whole food plant-based diet. Food is medicine, an anti-inflammatory diet, which is a whole food plant-based diet in regular language. That's not processed foods. This is optimal for everyone. As many vegetables, fruits, nuts, beans, and non-refined whole grains. Um, no processed food, super important. But the other important thing is to keep the muscles around your joints strong. So movement, exercise, conditioning is super important because if you think of it, we're just kind of a bag of bones, right? If our muscles are not strong enough, we're going to put a lot of stress and torque on the joints. So I would say the two important things would be um, sort of an optimal, optimized whole food plant-based diet and exercise to keep your muscles strong to support your joints. Yeah, it's so interesting. As many physicians as I have on this show, and no matter what problem people are asking about, that's really the the core. <laughs> it's eat well and move your body. So uh, it's almost like whatever your question is, that's at least the beginning of, of, of the answer. So um, you have a plant-powered pain management program. What does that consist of? Yeah, um, as I keep saying, and as you just um, beautifully articulated, um, food is energy, food is medicine, food is actually, if you think about it, um, information for our cells, right? It could change even our genes, or the expression of our genes, which I find absolutely remarkable. I hear a lot of people saying, you know, I have pain, you know, I have back pain because my mother had back pain or my great uncle had knee pain and I'm just, you know, doomed. But no, pain is not, nor, you know, there's not like, not everybody has pain. I'll just sort of put in a plug for my dad at this point. He's 85 years old, soon to be 86. He's on zero medication. He runs four miles a day, which people sometimes think, oh, isn't that terrible for your joints? No, it's not. It actually helps strengthen. Um, and it's not a coincidence that he feels well. He's on the plant-based program. So the food as medicine approach, um, the plant-powered program, is to really think about food rather than reaching for an anti-inflammatory, you know, and, and even an over-the-counter, which has you know, serious side effects, actually, kidneys, liver, you know, we, we really want to avoid that. And I know that's a little bit, unfortunately, of the American way to just sort of quick, easy, efficient. But um, I'm forever educating people on the power of plants and how to manage pain that way. It really makes a huge, huge difference. So what uh, do you advise someone who's in acute pain? If 
they're trying to stay away from even the over-the-counter uh, pain remedies? Yeah, that, that's a great question, actually. Um, ice and or heat, depending on what, again, the root causes, so we can't go through every single diagnosis, but somebody, my friend just sprained her ankle, actually, yesterday. Um, so things that I'd be thinking about, um, you know, the 24 hour, you know, the, in the first 24 hours, some ice, um, also lots of hydration, rest, you know, depending on if it's an acute injury. Um, and there are some spices actually that, and my, my favorite ones are ginger and turmeric, which are anti-inflammatory. So we want to sort of think of our kitchen as a pharmacy, F-A-R-M-A-C, mm -hmm. right? Um, and we, we have everyday things that we can support our systems in the healing. In fact, this is an interesting point, which I'd love to, to break up, to bring up. Most people run for an anti-inflammatory, but if you think about it and you take a step back, right? The body is so intelligent and it doesn't lie. It may, you may have swelling, you may have inflammation going on with an acute injury, but that the body, you don't want to stop that process, right? Because the cells that are going there to actually heal that's a short-term effect. So you don't want to cut off the healing by just chomping on anti-inflammatories. Does that make sense? It does. It does indeed. Then in terms of the whole plant foods, are there some of them that are pro-inflammatory? I'm sorry, you cut out for a second. Say that oh, again, I'm please. Sorry. Yes. Yep. In, in the world of whole plant foods, are there some of them that are pro-inflammatory? Well, when I say... When people talk about plant, there's a little confusion, and I don't, you know, I'd like to, uh, you know, marketing is confusing, but the science is not. So we want to really align ourselves with nature. So I am not really so for, it's good for the environment to be eating, you know, any kind of, you know, plant-based option, but eating sort of real food that grows from the ground is much better than a processed plant-based situation, right? So you know, and I'm not going to sort of, you know, you know, talk again, you know, against processed veggie burgers and that sort of thing. But we have to be careful if we're eating processed plant uh, based things or things with a lot of sugar in them. Right. Added sugar that Oreos are still vegan. Right. Mm -hmm. But that would not be a good option um, if you're looking to really decrease inflammation or even have optimal health. How about nightshades? There's a little. Um, I yeah, I, I'm not. I'm for them. I really like eggplant. I really like tomatoes. Um, I think I also say this too. There are some basic concepts, um, but there are some individual um, sort of, you know, we, we do have different genetics. And if I, I would say if there's a connection, listen to your body. If there's a connection, like every time you eat like a lot of tomatoes, which have a lot of benefits too, um, or eggplants or, you know, other nightshades, then maybe you want to sort of dial back a little bit. So it's a little, um, the research isn't so set on that, but mm. I would listen to your own individual, you know, body on that. But, you know, I, I you know, I'd like to say that you know, the eggplant is probably not your problem. Like that's probably not the, you know, the major issue if you're experiencing inflammation. Okay. So you wrote a terrific article in the Huffington Post called Rethinking the Pain Puzzle. And in there you, you had this wonderful, kind of reminded me of the 60s, phrase you said power to the patient <laughs> what's that about yeah I'm a little bit of a hippie at heart um yeah um power to the patient is really 
it's a way of thinking, um, and it's a, a very strong way of thinking. And I always say to my patients, you're with me for the hour in my office. You know, I'm really, you know, trying to help you as much as I can, but you're also with yourself for the other 23 hours of the day. So again, physician as educator, I really try to incent and remind my patients that it's really the daily choices. It's you, you're you, the patient, who's going to decide, really determine your health outcome. If you're relying on a doctor solely to keep you healthy, you're unfortunately, unfortunately, really, really going to be disappointed because you know there's just so much we can do, right? Um, my power to the patient is really sort of putting a big, sort of highlighted, you know, emphasis on. I can give you the information. I can literally, all puns intended, digest all the science for you. But it's really the choices you're making every day in your food, in your sleep, and your how you're managing your stress. I'm here as a guide, really. So I, I really try to shift the responsibility um, because doctors, once again, are, are not the, you know, we have to take accountability and responsibility for our own, own health. Super mm. important. Uh, so, um, well, listeners, please uh, check out Dr. Lily Rosenthal, and that's L-I-L-L-I-E, uh, drlilyrosenthal.com. She's Dr. Lily Rosenthal, and the doctor is not all spelled out, D-R, Lily Rosenthal, uh, on Instagram as well. And we will put that on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. And just in our last literally 30 seconds, uh, give us... Uh, Give us a tip. Give us one thing for getting through life better. Oh, clearing your mind. It all starts in the mind. But then again, vegetables, fruits, <laughs> good food support the mind. So it's all connected. So I guess take a breath, especially during this special time, and clear the mind because our conscious choices is really what determines our sort of outcome and our you know optimal health. So That's beautiful. Clear the mind. Thank you. Eat your vegetables. <laughs> Terrific. Thank you so much. And thanks to everybody for listening today. God bless you. Eat those veggies. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.